0: This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc-Olivier Dumablé.
1: And I'm Yannick Magnan.
0: And what's our topic for this week, Yannick?
1: My new gaming setup.
0: Ooh, but before you start, you have some follow-up.
1: Yep. Uh, First item of follow-up is about the mini-disc episode, episode 166. Uh, So we had a listener of the show, Chuck Schneider, uh, write in say is saying that uh, MD data was a thing. Uh, MD data was a way to use mini disk as a sort of alternative to zip disks back in the day. Uh, I I was aware that it was a thing. We just uh, omitted it from the show because it's not particularly interesting as a use case. It's just like zip disks, basically, not particularly special in any way, um, but I did want to mention that. However, there is something a lot more weird uh, that you can do with mini Minidisc, uh, courtesy of the YouTube channel This Does Not Compute. Uh, last week, they posted a video uh, showing a disc e-reader, uh, hmm. which is incredibly strange, uh, so I would recommend that anyone who likes weird disc hardware go check that out. Uh, there was also a video by Tecmon that came out this week, which is just an unboxing of, like, I think... Upwards of 50 mini disc players that he got in a giant lot uh, from an auction site. Uh, wow. So, if you want to see the variety of mini disc hardware, that's a great way to experience it. It is an hour long video, so uh, prepare yourself or watch it at 1.5x like I do. Um, but yeah, uh, lots of interesting mini disc content uh, that came out in the last two weeks. Uh, Next up is some follow-up for episode 163. That was the episode about Sony's missteps this year. Uh, I have some good news to report to PlayStation 4 owners. Uh, The CMOS bomb issue has been fixed as of PS4 firmware 9.0.0, which came out this week. Uh, In summary, what the CMOS bomb issue was, if you don't remember, is that if your PS4 CMOS battery was going to die, once you replaced it, it would need to talk to PlayStation servers online in order to synchronize the clock. Otherwise, none of your games, whether they are physical or digital, would ever be playable again, which really, really sucked. And this came up when Sony announced that they wanted to shut down uh, servers for older systems. Uh, People sort of waved their arms around and said, oh, yeah, by the way... This has nothing to do with the older systems that they're thinking of shutting down, but there's a big issue, a design problem with the PS4 that harms its longevity as a console if their servers go down. So as of 9.0.0, this is no longer an issue. Um, so if you are an active PS4 owner, you probably already have this update installed. And if you are holding on to a PS4 in storage or something like that, I would recommend hooking it up and upgrading it just so that the longevity of the console can be uh, guaranteed because who knows if you just keep it in storage too long and then the servers are down and for some reason you can't update the firmware, uh, you're just going to have a brick PS4 and that sucks for everyone. Uh, so that was your... Uh, notice to go to that. Um, it, what's interesting, as I mentioned on that episode, is that this was apparently some weird way to prevent trophy fraud. Uh, if you wanted to fake trophies, you could actually uh, take out your CMOS battery and have trophies that were awarded before... The games even came out. Uh, And a way to prevent that is you needed to connect online and synchronize your clock with the official Sony servers to actually be able to prevent that kind of fraud. Uh, Sony implemented a much better solution to this problem, which is if you get a trophy when your CMOS battery is out, you will still get the trophy when you get back online. Except it will not have a date attached to it, which means you can't fake the date, Uh, which to me seems like what they should have done all along but whatever uh at least they fixed it um so hmm. that is what's going on on that front
0: so it was uh like really uh officially like not announced but uh mentioned in the release notes of that release it was not just people like spelunking in the OS release and realizing that that got fixed
1: this apparently is part of the changes that makes PS4 and PS5's achievement systems basically the same thing
0: huh yeah interesting and by the way too i take your note uh about like people in, in ps4 in storage kind of a, a psa for me to boot up my ps4 and make sure it's updated
1: yeah well if it's in rest mode it's probably already updated but
0: um, um i'm not sure it's even in rest mode so interesting Oops. okay yeah yeah yeah
1: Uh, Next up is just a quick note about episode 128, which was about The Morning Show, and that is that The Morning Show season 2 began last week, Uh, so by the time you're listening to this, the second episode will have come out. Uh, I watched the first episode, and it's very good so far, so uh, just in case you were interested in checking out the second season, now you know that it's out.
0: I need to put that on my watch list because I haven't started it yet. And last bit
1: of follow-up is going to be the longer bit of follow-up, and that is I've been trying to get the good of you to talk about cameras for quite a while. Uh, it's been a while since episode 124, the last time we talked about cameras, um, where I sort of ranted about uh, Sony's camera lineup, and nothing has changed in the last two years, uh, which sort of illustrates why I was cranky then and I'm still cranky now. Um, But I found this useful page on Wikipedia, the Sony MILK timeline, MILK being uh, mirrorless interchangeable lens cameras. Uh, And what's really great about this Wikipedia page is how it visualizes hardware generations for sensors and image processors in Sony cameras. I had never really thought about it in that way before. And when you actually see it uh, visually like this, there's a lot of shit going on uh, and by (laughs) a lot of shit, I mean, not a lot of shit going on in the APS-C side of things. So if you just look at the timeline uh, starting from 2014, low end APS-C cameras have only seen one model per line since 2014. Uh, If you go uh, further up market, most mid to high end APS-C sensor cameras have had two models per line in the same timeframe. Now, All of these cameras, whether they be the low end or the mid to high end, uh, they all share the same sensor and image processor generation, uh, which means usually the primary differentiators between these cameras were quality of life features, uh, battery uh, efficiency, stuff like that, and not so much like camera performance differences. Um, But I want to sort of back away from the idea of since 2014 where basically the line has been stagnant since 2014. That's the point I made on the previous episode. And I made that evaluation like without even paying attention to the hardware generations of sensors and image processors, because you just got that feeling from looking at the camera lineup. If we actually look at the sensors uh, on the page, uh, if you're looking at it right now, all of the gray cameras are using X more sensors. Uh, these are the first generation uh, sensor that were used in uh, these mirrorless cameras. And all of the APS-C cameras listed on that page have the Exmor sensor line.
0: I would like to note for people that are just listening to our voices, um, I don't have an exact number, but like percentage wise, maybe 70% of the mold there are in gray, meaning that they use the sensor Yannick mentioned just right. to give you a perspective. So it's-
1: The thing to note is that uh, the mirrorless cameras didn't exist until late 20, th- uh, sorry, not mirrorless cameras. The full frame cameras did not exist since, until late 2013. And the first mirrorless cameras started around 2011. And there were a lot of models very early on. So yes, proportion wise, um, a lot of the models are on the older sensor because there are more APS-C cameras than there were, mm-hmm. uh, full frame. Then once the full frame cameras started coming out, they started using the Exmor R sensor, which is a second generation sensor te- technology. Uh, this has been the case since 2015. Uh, and these are the pale orange ones you can see on the page. And then uh, since 2017, the higher end full frame models have been using Exmor RS, which is the yellow uh, sensor. So, which is
0: literally three models of the, all, those page, all of this. the model on this page.
1: Yeah, sort of the flagship models. Um so that means that there are, like, two sensor generations that have never touched aps at all, uh, which kind of sucks. Um, let's park that on one side, and let's go talk about image processors for a while. Uh, all of the mirrorless cameras, which had the NEX naming, which was the original naming before they were formally integrated into the Alpha line of cameras, all of those used a Bionz image processor, uh, which is illustrated with a blue dot on this page. In 2013, uh, the APS-C cameras uh, jumped over to the BIONS X image processor generation, second generation uh, image processor. That's the green dot on the page. And those were used immediately in the full frame mirrorless cameras uh, because they shipped a couple months later. Uh, There were no full frames before then. And then in mid-2020, there was the new BIONS XR, I have to force myself not to say 10R because I'm so <laughs> fucked up by the iPhone. Um, it's the third generation image processor and it was introduced on uh, basically all of the flagship higher end full frame Sony cameras. I think those are like only two or three models as well, right? Uh, four. Four. Okay. So basically from this quick rundown, APS-C cameras are very overdue for at the very least a sensor generation upgrade. And... You could make the case that they could also jump to the new image processor generation as well. Now, I mentioned to you before we started recording the show that uh, the more I look at this page, the more infuriated I get, (laughs) especially the more links I click to other pages, because Uh what makes this feel even worse is if you actually click on the links to go read the details of the sensor generation pages. Smartphones have been using the Exmor R and RS sensors since 2012. Cameras from competing vendors have been using sensors with the Exmor R and RS sensors since 2012. Sony's own APS-C cameras still don't use them in 2021, which sucks. And we were talking about the RX100 uh, online, but off stream uh, in the last two weeks. And in comparison the RX100 which for people who don't know is Sony's premium point and shoot that's absolutely adored in the vlogging world it's ha- has had all three sensor generations and the first two image processor generations and contrary to uh, the uh, APS-C cameras they had seven models released over the last 9 years which is mm-hmm. a lot more than one or two per product line
0: wait you have to repeat that. So you mean that let's say you get RX seven no RX one hundred, Mark six at this point or Mark, VII? Mark I seven. I forgot. Where were Mark seven. So it has the X more RS sensor yes. and the Bionz X processor. Yeah,
1: Jeez. which means it it has the same image processor as uh, all the APSC cameras, and it has a better sensor. Well better sensor it's a newer generation sensor than the right. one that's in uh the aps-c cameras right now uh which i mean it, it's good for the rx100 like uh, iphones have been using bion uh sorry not bion's uh, xmore rs sensors for a while uh, as well because uh iphones use sony uh camera modules uh, of course like everything i'm saying about these hardware generations it's very important to hear that the, the These generations sort of represent what the features of the sensor and the features of the image processors are, but not the numbers behind them. So you can make a variety of sensors at different uh, sizes and with different uh, tweaked specs and all of that stuff. But basically, like the core features of the sensor are embedded in those uh, generations, Uh, which means that, of course, like your iPhone sensor isn't going to be better than necessarily uh, an alpha Uh, camera sensor just because the size is completely different but it is going to be a more recent generation than all of the APS-C cameras which is interesting and disappointing if you're a Sony APS-C person right now and like it just uh, underscores my point that if you're an APS-C owner you feel kind of abandoned by Sony they keep releasing models but they're not actually upgrading any of the hardware generations and you feel just like abandoned on the sinking ship uh, which I hope is not the case. Uh, maybe in the next couple months, Sony can change something. Uh, but uh, I think this page on Wikipedia is really like the best visual indication of what is going on with Sony cameras and the despair that some of us have.
0: <laughs> oh, you no, know, uh now with the, maybe what, 10 minutes explanation, I understand why you wanted me to see that just before recording. Uh, and also I'm still flabbergasted that, the like, Alpha Five Thousand and the Alpha Five like Fifty One Hundred are literally being sold to this date, but they were introduced in twenty fourteen. Yep, and it's crazy. Okay, I'm sorry for you, Yannick. You won't be able to buy a new camera unless you. I, I guess it does mean unless you go full frame.
1: Yeah, that's kind of up another price bracket. Um, yes. yes, so it's not necessarily the most appealing thing. Uh, I'm sure we will have plenty of other chances to talk about it in the future. Uh, I Right now, I'm not in a huge hurry because I can't travel and I mostly take photos when I travel. Um, right. But to be continued, I guess.
0: I do love that this follow-up item was a good way for you to steamroll a photo episode kind of mini topic <laughs> uh, before your main topic for this week uh, because I do have a small note. Uh, so one of the main reasons why Yannick was mentioning it, that he wants me to uh, do a photo episode is at some point I was looking at, we're talking about cameras recently and also I'll be taking some photo lessons this fall, hopefully. Uh, and uh, now you're not, the note I wanted to make is now you're no, 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 no longer the only temptation I have uh, when I talk about cameras because I started to talk camera at work and I have worse colleagues than you for <laughs> making me buy a camera. So it was kind of a, a funny moment this week when we started to talk camera and my uh, some of my guys like oh yeah you just buy the Fuji you, the, the Fuji uh, X100V that I was looking at. I was like that's not helping <laughs> So small aside on where I am. Cool, are we ready
1: to move on to the main topic?
0: We are ready. I'm super excited about that, too.
1: All right. So uh, on episode 32, that was the last time we actually talked about uh, my gaming setup. A lot of things have changed since then.
0: Well, that's what, like six years
1: ago? long-ass time ago. Like Maybe five (laughs) years uh, is closer. But yeah, Uh, I think a lot of things have changed mainly because I have... Do I have more consoles? No, I I technically have the same number of consoles that I had before. I just moved and I have a different display and I've got speakers and it's kind of chaotic and all that stuff. So I'm going to go and explain my old setup and uh, then I'll go into what changed and what I didn't like and other alternatives and stuff like that. You'll see, I I spent a bunch of money and uh, this is how I tell you how I spent my money. Uh, so my main display, the display I'm looking at right now is a BenQ RL 2455, which is a 24 inch 1080p gaming monitor with one millisecond of lag. Uh, this is the monitor that was used for basically every esports competition with first person shooters and fighting games across the entire PS4 generation. Uh, so it is battle tested for gaming, uh, and, uh, low latency gaming, especially, Uh, It has a 3.5mm audio out jack on the back uh, and that audio out is hooked up to a pair of Mackie CR3 3-inch reference monitor speakers uh, via a 3.5mm to stereo RCA cable. Uh, There are two HDMI inputs on the display. Uh, The first HDMI input was a PlayStation 4 uh, directly from the HDMI out from the PSVR box Uh, Then on HDMI 2, I had the Mac Mini that I'm recording right now on. Uh, Via VGA, I had this thing called the SLG in a box, or a scanline generator in a box. Uh, This was basically my retro gaming solution at the time. It's a device that can take analog output consoles and convert them to something that modern displays can accept. Uh, The thing that's strange about the SLG in a box, and I don't think this is still being sold today, is that it's literally three separate devices that are connected together in a plexiglass case by a hobbyist. Uh, It is not really an actual product per se. Um, So those three devices are the GBS 8200 video scaler board, uh, which is wired up to handle vga component and rgb via scart inputs there's a sync strike sync stripper which is really hard to say i can't even tell you what a sync stripper does i just know that it's important f- sometimes for scart inputs uh i believe it allows
0: t- you to play retro games that's why you, uh, you should say it
1: uh maybe um I I think technically the sync strike is what is allowing me to get the SCART input. I think you normally have to wire the RGB directly to the board because again, like this is a video scaler that's usually used in like as a component of a piece of hardware. It's really like a board that you buy to put into another piece of hardware. Um, so I believe it is technically interfacing with the SCART thing. I don't know it's a science project. Uh, and then <laughs> the, the third device is the SLG3000 scanline generator which literally just takes a VGA signal and adds scanlines in either 640 by 40 or 800 600 configurations. Um so at the time when I was researching all of this it was the cheapest and highest quality all-in-one product that you could buy that would do both RGB SCART and component consoles hooked up to a modern display with good looking scan lines. And that was my priority at the time. And it worked relatively well. Uh, The consoles I had hooked up to it were a Japanese PS1, a Japanese Sega Saturn via RGB SCART. And then I had a North American PS2 and a North American Wii over component. Uh, Since uh, since I updated my setup, I've also region unlocked my PS2, which is a thing you can do now apparently. Uh, You can actually flash the firmware to region unlock it now which is great, Uh, so now I don't have to mess with weird workarounds to actually play uh, weird region games
0: Right, wasn't it, I think we talked about that offline recently, and wasn't it because you have a PS2 slim It's not just the slim
1: generation it's just certain older models of the thick one are not eligible. Huh But, yeah, most models of PS2 can actually uh, be patched to be region unlocked and play PS1 backups or PS2 backups, but not both at the same time, which is a weird uh, thing. Uh, So if you want to play burnt games, you sort of have to swap a mode and stuff like that. Um, Oh. But, yeah, if you want, uh, you can go look up Mechapone and find uh, the details on that exploit. It's kind of outside the scope of what I want to talk about this episode, but it's a thing that you can do. Uh, so I had these four consoles, and I still have these four consoles, but I did not have any switches. Uh, so I would manually have to plug and unplug systems whenever I wanted to switch whichever one was active for a given input. So there were disadvantages to this old setup. Um, so the first one is that I was never satisfied with the component input. Uh, there was, uh, first of all, it always felt kind of dark and noisy, uh, which was not great and it had heavy jail bars uh so if you're not familiar with jail bars the idea is uh long vertical dark lines in and it was sort of worse on light backgrounds because you would see them more than on dark backgrounds um and it was really weird and inconsistent and every time i took a photo of off screen of a ps2 game it looked bad um and it look bad because it did look bad it's not like a weird camera angle thing uh and this whole time i wasn't really sure if it was my cables that were bad or if the input itself was bad because i bought basically the cheapest cables i could get for the wii and for the ps2 Uh, and it's a known issue that cheap cables on these consoles actually have very bad video quality and i had no idea if it was my cables or if it was my scaler
0: come on you didn't get the gold-plated cables
1: I did not, because apparently those also have certain issues sometimes where uh, (laughs) they have a death grip problem where they get stuck in the RCA cable, uh, in the RCA terminals, and then you sort of have to rip it out and it damages your equipment, which is not great.
0: I thought you were about to say that their problem is they're too expensive for no reason. Uh, These days on
1: eBay, they're not expensive at all. Ah. (laughs) Oh. The second issue is, uh, so the GBS board that actually does the scaling has a bunch of different output resolutions. And for some reason, 640 by 480 never actually worked reliably. Uh, There was always some chunk of the image that was chopped off, and I don't understand how. Uh, And I tried messing with basically all of the manual settings, and I could never get it to work right. So I just switched it to 800 by 600, uh, which is less than ideal because... I basically wanted an integer scale of the input signal and 800 by 600 is not an integer scale of anything. Uh, So that was less than ideal. Uh, the scan lines, of course, only supported 640 by 480 in 800-600 modes. So th- that sort of forced me to stick with 800-600 if I actually wanted scan lines. I couldn't use any of the other resolutions, even if there were high resu- resolution ones, because as soon as I would enable scan lines, the entire image would get blurry, uh, which is not what I want. This is an issue with my BenQ monitor. My monitor actually does not retain aspect ratio settings for its inputs. So every time I would boot up my scaler it would be an 800 by 600 in a tiny box in the middle of the screen Uh, so i would always have to go in the menus on my monitor and switch it to zoom up the image so that i would see more of it Uh, and the problem is uh due to how sync works in analog signals and all of that stuff and how it's handled by most scalers every time the resolution changed it also meant that the sync would drop with my monitor and I would have to go back in the menu and set it to full screen again, which sucks. Um, So yeah, that was a downside. Another issue with my monitor is if you have an active video signal that's coming in, you can't go into the menu and switch inputs. You have to have it not send a signal so you can switch inputs, which sucks. What? Yeah. So if I have my Mac Mini running and I want to switch the input of the PS4, too bad, I have to actually put the machine to sleep so that I can switch the signal, uh, which sucks um and what I ideally wanted is to switch everything to HDMI and use an external switcher that would get rid of this issue for me
0: right, but that makes no sense I, again I understand it's a monitor, but wow, okay
1: yep it's like it's really weird the menus you have access to while there's an active signal coming in and while you don't have Uh, signals coming in are completely different, uh, which is really fucking strange. Uh, But that's just how my monitor is. So this is another issue. So the SLG in a box used VGA, right? And VGA Mm -hmm. doesn't carry audio. Um, And one of the weird particularities of this is that SCART and component inputs each needed to route their audio separately. Uh, What I mean by this is uh, SCART actually contains the audio... In the connector. And it's, if you haven't seen SCART before, it's this giant, ugly <laughs> European con- uh, connector that basically does everything. Uh, it's incredibly versatile, it's just big and ugly. Um, but the audio pins are right in there. So, unlike an RCA where you have like separate uh, connectors for the audio, you have one SCART connector that has everything in it, uh, which is great. And that means that the SLG in a box basically gives you audio out for the SCART with RCA connectors. Uh, So I could use the RCA, a stereo RCA to 3.5 millimeter cable to actually connect it into the aux in on my display, which I luckily had, uh, which would allow me to mix in uh, the audio from SCART into my monitor's audio, and then that would get sent out to my speakers and it would be fine. The issue is that I don't, like the component uh, cables... It only takes in the YPBPR uh, video pins. It doesn't have an audio in for components. So I can't actually route the audio anywhere. Uh, So I had this weird RCA female pair to 3.5 millimeter cable that would plug into my speaker's 3.5 millimeter in jack to get the audio from my component consoles. And... It was weird, the audio came at a completely different volume level than what my display was sending because it's the raw output signal from the console. It's not going through volume control like the one on my display. And every single time that I wanted to switch which component console I was playing with, I would have to fiddle around with audio cables to actually get the audio to come out. And in practice, what that meant is I'm lazy and I'm not going to switch component systems more than maybe once or twice a year. Uh, And it meant (laughs) that I was mostly just playing PS2 games and my Wii was just sitting gathering dust a lot of the time. So yeah, that sucked. Uh, another thing that sucks about uh, the SLG in a box is VGA output uh, complicates the capture story. So I, I have thought about getting capture cards and stuff like that. But the problem is in the past when I was dealing with VGA output for all of these these uh, retro systems, I don't have an easy way to capture a VGA signal. If I had HDMI, I could use basically anything and easily capture it. But VGA is much tougher. Uh, and there was no good option for that on the Mac, which meant that I basically couldn't capture video in any way. And the last thing, this is kind of weird, but it's it's part of being a console collector, I guess. Uh, it didn't have a composite input, and composite sucks, right? We all agree on that, but uh, certain older consoles, like that's the best signal you can get out of them without modding. And I'm not particularly interested in modding a lot of systems. So uh, having Composite as an option would be nice for those kinds of systems. Um, but again, like that was like the least important thing, but if, it's just a nice to have that uh, I was thinking about. So before we get into what I got, I want to talk about all of the possible solutions to this uh, that were on the market, and like the basically like the three flagship video scaler devices that people in the retro gaming community uh, swear by uh, for this stuff. So we're going to start off with the MyComSoft FrameMeister. You've no doubt mm-hmm. heard of this if you're in the retro gaming uh, scene at all. Uh, at all, it was the undisputed leader for almost half a decade. Uh, it is a commercial Japanese video upscaler specifically designed for upscaling retro consoles. It has proper handling of the 240p resolution for pixel based games, and it has low latency motion adaptive deinterlacing for 480i games, uh, which basically meant whether you were using something like uh, a Super Nintendo or you were using something more recent like a PS2, uh, it would handle both pretty adequately. Um, it even had HDMI inputs for pass-through, so you could actually like hook up a PS3 or a PS4 to it, and you could use it as a single convergence point for all of your consoles, and then uh, use its output uh, towards a capture card or a display via a single HDMI cable, which was great for people who did a lot of uh, juggling between lots of consoles and did uh, video capture. Uh, which made it incredibly popular with YouTubers, naturally. Uh, Lots of retro game YouTubers have made really long videos about how much they love their Framemeisters, and it is definitely warranted. However, a couple of years ago, the parts that were used to manufacture Framemeisters stopped being made, and what that meant is they had to discontinue the product. So the remaining stock became quite limited, and prices went up a lot. Uh, So yeah, I don't think it is worth the price that it's going for right now. And on top of that, there is an added issue, which is uh, not only does the Framemeister only output 1080p, but it seems to be having compatibility issues with certain types of 4K TVs, uh, which means it's not necessarily going to work with your 4K TV if you have one, uh, which is definitely going to turn some people off. If you see this thing, which is supposed to be great, but it costs like $700, $800 because of the new markups that people are putting on them, and then you buy it and you plug it to your 4K TV and it doesn't work, uh, you're going to... Feel scammed. So, I would not recommend it uh, in the modern day because, especially if you're looking towards 4K, uh, you're probably not going to want a FrameMeister uh, as good as it was back in the day. Like, if, if, when it was selling for like $300 US uh, brand new, like that was actually a really good value for what you were getting. Not so much for $700, especially now that it has compatibility issues.
0: And it will be for a used model, right?
1: Yeah. Well, not not always. Uh, there are still okay. people who hoarded uh, new stock. But yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be expensive. Yeah, 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 So next up in the lineup is the Open Source Scan Converter, or the OSSC. This is not technically an upscaler. It is a line multiplier, and we'll get into what that means in a little bit. Uh, it it was designed with low latency and reasonable cost as priorities, And it has very similar inputs to the SLG in a box. It has RGB SCART component and VGA inputs. Um, So when I was saying low latency, this has less than two scan lines of latency. So one 240th of 16 milliseconds. So you can basically just say it's lag free because it kind of is. Because it's a line multiplier, output resolutions always need to be multiples of the input resolution. Um, and what this concretely means is that 1080p is not a supported output resolution. Uh, 240p does not, uh, divine, sorry, 1080p does not divide cleanly by 240p. Uh, so you're going to have to deal with 960p and not all displays are going to enjoy 960p. Uh, so yeah. It also doesn't condition the sync timings Uh, what this basically means is you're going to have compatibility issues with the older consoles and modern displays. So I think the best uh, example of this is the super Nintendo. Uh, I believe most consoles have a sync pulse that is 59.97 Hertz. The SNES for some reason (laughs) outputs at 60.02 Hertz, uh, if your TV does not know how to handle this, it's just not going to show the signal, and you're not going to be able to play it, even running through the OSSC. Uh, so you're going to have to deal with these kinds of compatibility issues for certain types of consoles. If you're playing more recent consoles, uh, let's say PS2, Xbox, GameCube generation that have interlaced video output, uh, the only type of deinterlacing that is supported on the OSSC is something called Bob deinterlacing, which... Cl- quickly flickers the video up and down on your screen unfortunately this type of interlacing can lead to heightened image retention on ips displays and on oled displays it can be a burn-in risk so you probably don't Mm. want
0: that sounds fun
1: yeah then there's sampling modes so what's interesting about the ossc is it's kind of like what I said about the uh, SLG in a box where it's a science project. This is also a science project, but instead of being a science project that is assembled of three different things, it's just a science project with a lot of knobs on it. Uh, So you can set the sampling mode to generic and it's just going to accept the video signal and it's gonna look fine. But if you want the optimal quality out of your consoles, you are manually going to have to configure sync timings and sampling settings for each system and each resolution the system can output to get the cleanest pixels. I'm willing to bet that 95% of people who do, who have an OSSC don't bother with this because it's too much of a pain. No one wants to think about signal processing when they're trying to play retro games, but it's available. Uh, and that's sort of the advantage of the OSSE is if you're a very technical user or you're using extremely niche hardware that is weird and you want to support it as best as possible and you know what you're doing, you're going to be able to make it work with the OSSE. Whereas if you're just someone who wants to play retro games and not bother with all this shit, you're sort of buying into a bunch of stuff that you don't need. And you're probably going to have compatibility issues if you want to play Super Nintendo stuff or other Uh, systems of that era so i think it was a good option to have on the market but it's definitely not ideal if you're just like a nobody who wants to play retro games i am i'm this nobody Cool, then you should get the next thing that I'm going to talk about,
0: which is what I ended up buying. <laughs> yes, I know. I know, because you know what? Like You're going through the list. Sorry for the small interruption, but I'm going through the list. I'm like, okay, I remember this My Life in Gaming episode. I remember this other My Life in Gaming episode. And I'm like, oh, we're going to that third My Life in Gaming episode.
1: Yes, so uh, what I ended up buying is the jink 5X it is the first RetroTINK product to be a proper scaler. Uh, there are a bunch of other RetroTINK products, which are called RetroTINK 2X something. Uh, there's the 2X Classic, the 2X Pro, the 2X Multi-Format. There are a bunch of different uh, variations of that. All of those were line doublers. So they would take a 240p signal and they would spit out a 480p signal. And you sort of had to deal with that and there were a bunch of other issues that I don't really want to get into. Uh, for all intents and purposes, if you care about this shit, you should probably be getting a RetroTINK 5X. Uh, it has RGB SCART, component and composite, and is video inputs uh, right up there. For input resolutions that are supported, it supports 240p, 480i, 480p, 720p, 1080i signals, and all of the PAL equivalents. For output resolutions... 240p, 480p, 720p, 768p, 1080p in three different modes, 1200p, and 1440p all over HDMI. RetroTink products are actually known for uh, how well they treat composite signals. Uh, A lot of people have said like, Composite is a terrible, uh, video format, but if you have to use that video format, you should probably use it through a retro tank because the combination of the filters and stuff that they have on board really makes the signals look a lot better than they honestly should. Uh, so that's neat. If you have comp- composite systems lying around, or if you basically have this stuff, like uh, the N64 is a great example. We were talking about this a couple of years ago and I was in Japan and I was trying to find an S video cable for you, uh. The N64, you basically have composite and S-video as options if you don't want to mod it. And uh, a lot of people have the composite cable and have trouble tracking down a reliable S-video cable. And it's kind of like, if you don't want to mod your N64, you kind of just have to deal with composite. And it's kind of the optimal scaler for that because of how well it treats composite signals. And also just to be fair to the N64 for once... The N64 is one of the systems with the cleanest composite signals output anyway, uh, so it's not a huge deal. Uh, you have top-class interpolation to keep non-integer-scaled images free of shimmering artifacts. So as I mentioned earlier, if you're taking a 240p game and you're outputting it to 1080p uh at the default mode, I'm going to say... uh you're basically going to have a non-integer scale and what interpolation does is it basically treats the image so that you don't have weird artifacts whenever something is scrolling because that is one of the common issues you see with non-integer scaled stuff it basically applies a sort of barely noticeable blur especially barely noticeable because you're outputting at a very high resolution compared to 240p uh and it basically makes it so that everything, every pixel size looks even, even though it's not in reality, which is good. Uh, it has zero lag, motion adaptive interlacing for 480i signals, so none of that. Well, you can use Bob D interlacing if you want, but you, you basically reduce the uh, the likelihood of burn in and image retention uh, for any 480i games, which is great. There is a massive amount of scanline modes for fans of the CRT look. I am one of them. Uh, it shipped with uh, a couple scanline styles and then with firmware updates, they have gotten even more insane and we'll talk about them in a little bit. Everything I said about the OSSC and its sampling stuff has been basically made into a user-friendly package with the RetroTink. So there are presets for basically every console and console resolution that you can just switch through with a button on the remote. Oh yeah, it comes with a remote control too. I forgot to mention that. Uh, So uh, let's say you're playing a... saturn game and it's 320 pixels wide just switch to that thing and suddenly your pixels are going to be perfectly crisp like you're playing on an emulator uh which is a lot less trouble than it would be on the osse where you'd have to basically change like three or four numbers by fucking around with hertz values and with an up and down menu none of that shit you just choose sat 320 on the menu and you've got Perfect pixels. Uh, so it's great. It basically lowers the effort required to actually have optimal uh, pixel clarity for your games. And uh, frequent firmware updates that add significant new features to the device. This is huge. Uh, since I've gotten my RetroTink about a month ago, there have been four firmware updates that have added significant features every single time. And it is a huge deal, and it doesn't look like it's going to stop anytime soon. Uh, so Probably this product is just going to get better over time, and that's insane. Uh, so I guess the conclusion here is this is the one you should buy. It's currently the best no-hassle plug-and-play video scaler for retro consoles on the market, and it has a lot of bonus options, even then uh that allows you to fine-tune things if you want to without being overwhelming to the user. Like there's nothing that you see and you're like wow, I'm going to need to take some kind of advanced math class to figure out what this does. No, you can just read the manual and everything is explained in plain language and you can get a pretty good idea of what's going on. So those are the uh, the three scalars I want to talk about, talk about. Now let's go through my actual new setup. Um, so I'm using the same old monitor as before, the BenQ RL2455. Uh, but on HDMI 1, I have a... HDMI 4 port switch, which is the View HD prosumer 18 gigabits per second HDMI 4 times 1 switch. On uh, HDMI 2, I still have my Mac Mini uh, for a reason that I will explain a little bit later. Uh, I would have liked to hook it up to the switcher, but it doesn't work, uh, and I'll explain why. VGA, nothing anymore, uh, so that's cool. Monitor's audio out is still going to the Mac e speakers. In the HDMI switch, on input 1, I have the RetroTink. And Input 2, I have the PlayStation 4. Uh, input 3 is empty. Input 4 was originally supposed to be the Mac Mini. That has not happened because of what I'll explain in a bit. So going through all of the uh, disadvantages from earlier. Component jail bars. There are none whatsoever with the retro tank. My cables were fine. Uh, actually, component quality on this thing is fucking insane. Uh, it's phenomenal and... Uh, you will. I, I'm going to get to a part where I talk about the various games I've tried on it. it it's mind-blowing. I almost cried. Uh, it was so good. Um, moving on to 480p output reliability. Uh, so like I mentioned on SLG in a box, I wanted to output a 640x480 to get proper vert, uh, vertical integer scale. It was never really reliable enough to be usable. Um, But there are two modes on the RetroTink that I uh, stick to for output that do a really good job. Uh, So the first is 1080p fill. Uh, This is a non-integer scale that fills up the full 1080p frame. But the interpolation on the RetroTink is so good that you can't actually tell that it's a non-integer scale. So you can do that and you can get a pretty good image. However, that's not my preferred mode. Uh, My preferred mode is 1080p over. So what this does is it does an integer 5x scale of the original image. And yes, this does mean that the top and the bottom are going to get cut off. Um, But the trade-off for that is it's going to fill up up more of the screen. Now, the thing to note about the top and the bottom being cut off is that back in the CRT days, there was this thing called overscan. And you weren't supposed to put things in the overscan because technically the CRT could... Like that region was not guaranteed to actually show up on the screen, which is a weird thing to think about in 2021, but whatever. So in practice, no one actually put things that were too important there that could be cut off. And that means that I have not played a game yet where actually anything has gotten cut off and I just get bigger, chunkier pixels at an integer scale. So everyone's happy. So that's my nice. preferred mode. Uh, if I ever run into issues, just press button on the remote and I'm in fill mode and there's no issue. So like it's it's win-win uh, for me. Scan lines. Out of the box, like I mentioned, RetroTINK shipped with only two kinds of scan lines and uh, multiple strength levels. Uh, so the polyphase, which are good for non-integer scales and integer scan lines, which are Good for integer scales. Uh, polyphase basically just always look good. Um, but after the firmware update, they added a lot more advanced CRT simulation modes. And I love the PVM scanline mode. It's so good. It looks so much like a real CRT. It looks not that great on camera if you take a photo of the screen. But in person, it looks phenomenal. Uh, it looks a lot more like a real CRT than just darkening every couple horizontal lines, which is great. And my general rule is if I'm playing a 4x3 game, I leave the PVM scanline on. And if I'm playing a more modern game that has a 16x9 mode, I turn the scanlines off. Uh, But I'm very satisfied with the setup and it looks amazing. Uh, Whether it's on a PS2 game or a PS1 game, it just looks amazing everywhere. Uh, Monitor aspect ratio. I don't have to tinker with the menu on my screen anymore because it's outputting 1080p. And that is the native resolution of my panel. So I don't need to touch it anymore. It's fantastic. Input switching. Uh, My HDMI switch is automatic by default, so I don't really need to switch inputs at all anymore, except for the Mac Mini. And the reason the Mac Mini had to stay on HDMI 2 on my monitor is because my HDMI switch was made for TVs and not for desktop monitors. And what that means is... Uh, when the computer asks the display what resolution it is, my HDMI switch doesn't know how to answer that. And it just says, (laughs) I don't know, deal with it. And then the Mac mini just says, okay, then I'm not sending you a signal. Uh, So I have to put it on HDMI 2 directly because otherwise it just doesn't get a signal. And that sucks because it means I still can't switch between my Mac mini and my consoles whenever I want, but I'll deal with it. (laughs) Um, Audio routing. Everything goes through the RetroTank. Everything in the RetroTink goes through HDMI, and HDMI is already being received by my monitor and outputting it to my speaker, so it's fantastic. I got to remove a lot of weird dangling audio cables all over the place and just streamline everything with one cable. I love it. Uh, VGA output, complicating capture, no longer a problem because RetroTink outputs in uh, HDMI. And lack of composite, I have a composite input now. Who cares? I can get an NES if I want and plug it and it'll look as good as it can with Composite. It's great.
0: I do have a question about Composite because I was, uh, in preparation, I was looking and they seem to mention uh, on their thing website that you have an option to go Composite through SCART. Yeah. And also have the Composite option.
1: Yeah, so SCART has pins for Composite video. It has pins for RGB video. And depending on the cable you're using, you may get both signals you may get only one of the signals uh so it's there so that if you're using literally like old school european SCART cables and they're wired up for a uh, composite video you can use those but in practice if you've got a SCART cable you're probably using it for rgb and you're going to use the rgb mode mm. because it looks better i see i see All right, now I want to talk about specific games that I tried, because different games that I've played have made me realize a bunch of different things about modern video games, which is not what I was expecting. Uh, But we're going to start with the first game that I tried on the RetroDink, and it was F0GX for the GameCube. It's not just one of the best GameCube games, it's just one of my favorite games in general. And this is the game that when I booted it up with the RetroDink, I basically almost cried. Uh this game is the proof that you don't need whiz-bang graphical features to continue looking absolutely gorgeous like 20 years later and it sort of demonstrates that the Nintendo philosophy of exceptional creative direction and high frame rates really helps with the longevity of a technologically aging game. Um, but it made me realize something bad about the
0: Switch. <laughs> uh, I was about to say it's, all, it's time for you to buy a Switch? No, but No. No. <laughs> Oh, I tried again. I tried again.
1: A lot of Switch games target non-native resolutions. Um, And you you probably don't even really think about it, but if you're using the Switch on a 4K TV, you're technically being impacted by this. So most Switch games render to resolutions either between 720p and 1080p or below 720p. Uh, For example, Splatoon 2 renders at 720p internally. What happens right now, if you have your switch in a default state, is that 720p image is upscaled to 1080p internally, and that is a 1.5x upscale, which means it will look bad. And then it is being upscaled 1080p to 4k in a 2x integer upscale, which means your bad upscale continues to look bad. Uh, and so if that internal upscale sucks, which spoilers, it does, uh, that is the <laughs> upper bound of how good your upscales are going to look someday in the future. What would be better is in the scenario would be if the switch output of flat 720p, that's a 3x integer upscale to your 4K TV, which would be much cleaner than having a 1.5x upscale in the middle for no reason. This is a problem that impacts basically the entire PS3 and 360 generation, because those consoles were never really powerful enough to render most games at either a full 720p or a full 1080p. And the problem is uh the more graphically ambitious your game, uh, the more likely it is that it's going to render at wacky resolutions like 552p like you see every once in a while on the Switch. Uh and there's just no clean upscale from that at all. <laughs> like there it's just going to look bad all the time. Uh and if you ever play games that look amazing on portable mode and then you put them on the dock and they still look kind of shit Uh, it's probably because it's rendering it at native 720p on portable mode, and then it's scaling weirdly to 1080p and then to 4K on your television. And the other issue, and this has been really uh, reinforced by the Direct that just finished airing a couple hours ago, is that uh, a lot of these Switch games cannot maintain a stable frame rate or even really 30 frames per second, which really help, uh, hurts playability. Uh, there was a lot of weird N64-era 15 to 20 frames per second shit during that Direct, and it was embarrassing. Uh, so, yeah, F-Zero GX, it's a flat 60 FPS all the time. It looks fucking amazing because it has good creative direction and it renders to a native resolution so it upscales cleanly and everyone's happy and it looks amazing and really like all it makes me want to do is play more gamecube games which is not a problem aside from the fact that gamecube games have gotten stupidly expensive uh so yeah all right on to the next game tekken tag tournament for the ps2 i actually ordered this game the day that i got my RetroTink because i was very curious about a very specific thing Tekken Tag is one of the PSU launch games that shipped with code that was written against the earliest versions of the SDK that actually shipped. Um, That means that access to graphical features weren't completely fleshed out at the time. And you were locked into very specific rendering modes and couldn't make the most of the hardware. What's also interesting about Tekken Tag is it has an HD remaster on PS3. And it effectively uses the same assets of the PS2 games, but it renders at a higher resolution, namely 1080p. So I wanted to figure out how good PS2 launch games look on the RetroTink, and how close does it get to the HD remaster? So PS2 launch games look shockingly great on the RetroTink. Uh, I'm also very curious about Ridge Racer 5, which was by the same company and used the same SDK version as Tekken Tech Tag. Tech. I also think I prefer it to the HD remaster because it feels like a more honest representation of the game. And what I mean by that is, HD remasters that use original assets tend to have this weird uncanny valley effect. Um, 3D models in these games are generally only designed to have as much detail as is necessary to look good at the original resolution. So sometimes rendering at a higher resolution can accentuate imperfections or weirdness that was not visible at lower resolutions. And certain types of effects can look completely wrong or unnatural when rendered at higher resolutions and make things look maybe plastic when they shouldn't uh, at the original resolution. So if you upscale the game from the original resolution, the game mostly still looks like how it used to, and your brain fills in the missing detail with what would be natural to see. Whereas uh, if you play it on the the high-resolution rendering mode, things are just going to look weird and stick out more than anything else. So I basically played the entire uh, the entire game of Tekken Tag, like I unlocked everything. Uh, and it made me realize that I personally prefer upscaling original resolution in games to using HD remasters if possible, which was not something I was expecting to learn uh, from messing around with this game. Uh, so we talked about GameCube, we've talked about PS2, I want to briefly talk about PS1 and Saturn. Uh, I played quite a bit of Gran Turismo 2 on PS1. I played a little bit of Sonic Jam on Saturn. And the reason I'm not particularly interested in talking about those systems during this episode is because (laughs) it's not as impressive a jumping quality from what I already had. I was already satisfied with the SCART performance of my old setup. There are significant changes with the RetroTINK, but mostly it means better handling of 240p signals and the availability of optimized sampling modes. And the problem with optimized sampling modes is you need to know the horizontal resolution of the game you're playing. Uh, so a lot of people will assume that 240p is 320 by 240, but that's not necessarily the case. Some games render at 256 by, uh, 240 and have rectangular pixel size, which is not an issue with CRTs. It is an issue with LCD displays, which have square pixels all the time. Uh, and the optimized sampling mode is basically made to deal with these things more cleanly and give you harder edges on your pixels which is which makes them look nicer But in practice, you have no real way of finding out what resolution the game is, Uh, so you kind of either have to find references on the internet, or guess, or use an emulator, and that's kind of a pain to figure out. Uh, Some games use different resolutions in menus and gameplay. Gran Turismo 2 is a perfect example of that. Uh, It uses one resolution in menus, it uses another resolution in gameplay, and sort of like the options you have are you can leave your RetroTINK in generic mode, and it'll just look slightly softer in all cases. You can leave it in the gameplay resolution, but then your menus look kind of glitched, honestly. Or you can switch back and forth every time you go between menu and gameplay, which is a pain. Um, So what I've sort of come down to doing is uh, if I know a game has a fixed resolution for the entire game, I write it down in my backloggery account in the notes section. Uh, That's basically where I write what memory card my saves are on anyway, so I always look at it before playing a game. And if a game has multiple resolutions or I'm unaware of its resolution, I just stick to the generic thing and I deal with it. Generic looks great anyway, um, but it's just not like razor sharp, but who cares? (laughs) It doesn't really matter
0: yeah at some point you know like those are all games so for sure there's going to be imperfection the the idea is to minimize them yeah pretty much
1: and like you can't really tell the difference between generic and optimized unless you really get close to the screen and the distance i'm setting it's not a huge deal but like if i can use optimized mode without too much trouble i'd like to do it but it's not a deal breaker or anything like that uh the one last note i want to add before i move on to my uh the future of my gaming setup, is I have not tried any consoles over Composite because I don't have anything where that would be the highest quality video signal that I could use. Uh, And I don't feel like uh, rewiring my systems just to try it out. Um, But if I ever get a system that works with it, maybe I'll report back in some follow up. But for now I have not tried it and I'm not in a hurry to try it either. All right, so future paths for the evolution of my gaming setup. Um, the first one that seems pretty obvious is moving to a 4k or a higher resolution display. Uh, everything new that I bought was with the intention of being future proof or an eventual 4k display. So the HDMI switch that I bought is 18 gigabits per second, which means it can handle 4k at 60 frames per second with HDR, uh, which was pretty much. The most reasonable thing I could ask without spending like $300 on a switcher if I wanted 4K 120 frames per second with HDR, whatever. Like, I don't think I'm ever going to get that insane. It's also very important to find recommendations of these devices and switches and cables that are tested by people who have these in their setups and have next gen consoles outputting 4K HDR because. There have been weird issues with HDMI processing chips in the last few years that have made people not support the spec correctly for some reason. Uh, So it's nice to have equipment that you know works in tested setups. Uh, So I basically went out and looked for people who have retro consoles hooked up to their stuff uh, via these kinds of scalers and... Uh, like an Xbox Series X or a PS5 and have verified that it works. And luckily my switch and my cable and my HDMI cables have been verified. Um, The other option I could have if I don't get a 4k display is to get a 1440p display, because that's the highest resolution that the retro tank can output. And a lot of PS4 games and uh, PS4 pro games and PS5 games output 1440p video signals. Unfortunately, neither of them output 1440p signals from the console. They are 1440p upscale to 4k, uh, which is not ideal. The only console right now on the market that does output native 1440p is the Xbox Series X. And if I were to stick with my PS4 as it is, uh, 1080p is a 1.33x upscale to 1440p, which is not ideal either. Um, At some point, I'm probably going to have to compromise somewhere uh, because my numbers just don't add up unless everything is 4K everywhere. Um, But I'm not in a huge hurry for the 4K display. I think the camera is going to come in uh, first in the upgrade cycle. Uh, The next thing that I could potentially do to evolve my setup is get more consoles. Uh, I would be interested in getting a Famicom and a Super Famicom. Those are some emissions that I have in my uh, console collection right now. And I could get a SCART cable for a Super Famicom. And if I get an AV Famicom or a Twin Famicom, I could hook it up via Composite. So that would be great. I have two free HDMI ports. So if I ever want to get an Xbox 360 or a Switch or something next-gen... There are free ports. Um, and the last thing I could do to uh, evolve my gaming setup would be to get some fancy either SCART switches or component switches. And th- I think like the reason I haven't prior- prioritized this as heavily is right now I only have four systems. And maybe I should get uh, more systems in a given type before investing in one of these switches. Uh, But the GSCART SW and the GCOMP SW switches are incredibly popular amongst retro gamers for being these automatic switches for both SCART and component slash composite uh, video signals that would basically remove any need for me to manually disconnect and reconnect consoles whenever I want to switch them. Uh, Which, like, admittedly, it is a lot less trouble with my RetroTink than it was previously when I had to do all the audio routing myself as well um so i i switch them much more often than i used to which is great um but if i didn't have to do anything at all that is the ultimate luxury uh and i would love that um so maybe eventually the only thing is gscart and G-Comp switches are quite expensive uh, especially when you can compare them to like uh passive switches from like ages ago that were just like these tiny, maybe $20 boxes that just had RCA jacks all over them. Uh, It it feels like you're paying 10 times that for uh, basically the same thing sometimes. Like, I know it's a lot more complicated than that, but it doesn't necessarily always feel like it's worth uh, the amount of money that they're asking for.
0: Right, which would be more or less the same price as the ritual thing.
1: Yeah, pretty much. Uh, So it's, it's a big cost, and like when I have two SCART systems and two components systems it doesn't really feel worth it yet but it is something i am thinking about for the future
0: the magic number is three usually
1: <laughs> i think the switchers have eight inputs technically uh both of them
0: uh, oh no but i mean about the you feeling the pain is once you have three consoles of yeah, the yeah. same like connector type then you'll be like Ugh. Uh the,
1: the other thing i forgot to mention is i technically also have one connector that is free right now on the retro itself which is the s video cable uh but mm. I can't really think of anything unless I want to get back into the Dreamcast game, which is a whole other story. I'm cursed. I have destroyed nine Dreamcasts in my life, so I don't want nine? to. Oh, it's it's a whole story. Every Dreamcast I have touched has died, uh, <laughs> which is not a good curse because I love the Dreamcast, but I, I, know you I would like to enjoy it for more than two days, which is the longest one has lived with me. Uh, so, yeah. What did you do to them? I'm just cursed, man.
0: Oh, I can see that. <laughs> <laughs>
1: so, but technically like if uh Dreamcast output it's like you can get a bunch of really weird RGB cables for it, which I don't really understand what's going on there, but it's like it sounds complicated to do RGB with Dreamcast. Uh you can get as video or you can get VGA, which I'm trying to get out of the VGA business. Uh so <laughs> Uh, It would probably be as a video, except I am I going to be able to have a Dreamcast for more than two days? Mm, Not sure. I wouldn't take that bet. Uh, So, yeah. So that's the whole thing that uh, I've got going on with my gaming setup. It's a really fun time right now, especially now that I am fun employed. Uh, I can just spend all day playing video games, and that's great. Uh, Although I'm not going to spend all day playing video games. It's only in the morning. Uh, But, yeah.
0: uh, Ooh, okay. So you have a schedule, too. Hmm, Yes. That's good.
1: So, did you have any questions, or are we done? Uh,
0: maybe one last com- one comment is: uh, I the retrotech is the the five X is a pretty recent product, yep. and I, w- while we, you were talking, I was looking at some of the other products, and I recall multiple conversations we had when I was like tiptoeing into whether I should buy one or not. Is that I sh- was looking heavily at the two uh, X pro well I, I forgot i closed the page accidentally so yes i was looking at the 2x pro which seems to me if you're uh, not as nerdy about all those retro game and making sure that they scale correctly and blah 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 and you more or less just want to have your old uh, video game console work on hdmi tvs or modern tvs uh was to me the like from my research and your my discussion with you and nick was like the retro Thing 2x pro was like you buy it you don't ask any questions you just play your you plug-in consoles and it just works which for the price difference with the retro Thing 5x which is if you can get it in stock because it's pretty popular right now though so 300 and the uh, 2x pro is 129 so uh, as a uh, pretty good entry in that market or that making sure you can undust your old consoles and relive your youth uh, i think it seemed to be a good option so
1: yeah it's definitely a reasonable option and i think for a lot of people it uh, makes a lot of sense the one thing though is it only like i mentioned it's a line doubler it is not a scaler so you're going to be restricted to 480p output uh, which i mean TVs generally upscale 480p fine so I don't think there's much to be worried about there but yeah maybe do your research a little bit the other thing that I would uh, mention is uh, the 2x pro as I remember does not take 480p input at all uh, which means if you have a more recent system even if it's hooked up over component and you give it a 480p signal it does not know what to do with it uh, so you you're going to be restricted to 240 p and 480i games Uh, So you can't really push it as far as you want. The other thing is, I know you were interested in it for the N64 and the the store on the RetroTank website now has an option to give you an N64 or Super NES S video cable with it when you order, uh, which was not the case when we last talked about it. Oh, really? And that's, oh, I see that. That would resolve the issue that you had where I was running all over Akihabara trying to find a stupid-ass video cable for the N64. Uh, you can just get one when you order it, uh, which would solve hmm. your problem.
0: And I would imagine that the one they ship you is a pretty high-quality one, too. I believe it is. Nice, 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 nice. Mm, 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 mm. I was worried that I would quite enjoyed this episode but that i would have to put something on my shopping list at the end of it and oh wow the price if it it's ten dollars not yeah. even eight dollars wow okay mm, thank you yannick i guess
1: <laughs> i didn't cost you the full 300 bucks so it's great uh <laughs> the one point. thing i will mention about uh, retro tink 5x availability is that due to the pandemic and the chip shortage it has been really hard for uh, mike chi to source parts for the 5x Uh, So he's been making about a batch available a month. At the time we are recording, which is September 23rd, the next batch is going up tomorrow. So by the time you hear this, it's going to be gone already because last time it was gone in 15 minutes. Uh, So keep your eyes out on the RetroTink website and on, let's say, resources like RetroRGB or the RetroTink Twitter uh, for availability news if you are interested in picking one up because you're going to be uh, you're going to need to be fast with your trigger finger to actually get one of these i got mine purely by chance uh i was browsing uh the select button forums one weekend and one of my friends posted that the retro 5x had just gone up for another batch and i was in the first 10 minutes and i checked out and it was gone right after uh so i only got it by chance uh and uh you're going to have to work for it if you want one, but uh, one batch a month is about average right now.
0: Right, and I was reading that they seem to mention that for this batch, you would expect to get it by October 31st. Um, So it's pretty fast, I would say, for something that is in high demand and is really constrained for the chip shortage.
1: And I got mine right around the uh, estimated time that was stated for me, so you can basically trust that the estimate is going to be correct. Oh, nice,
0: nice, nice, nice. But, but I guess, eh, worst case scenario, you can use their line doubler and maybe the next month, if you're unlucky, at least you have something in between because those are in stock and they seem to ship pretty fast. Yep. Good. So to find all the links that Enik mentioned and all the products that you should not buy because you'll be poor at the end, including the uh, big follow-up item about Sony Alpha and all <laughs> the Sony cameras, you can find the show notes for this episode at limitlesspossibility.net slash 168 to so 168 you can also find our back catalog at limitlesspossibility.net you can find the show on twitter at limipo underscore podcast that's l-i-m-i-p-o underscore podcast you can find us individually on twitter i'm at luconush that's l-u-c-c-o-n-o-u-c-h-e and yannick is at sakurina
1: that's s-a-k-u-r-i-n-a
0: and we'll see you in two
1: weeks see you in two weeks